0: The last couple of weeks we've we've talked about this basic subject how we got here, and by that I mean this is not about evolution or something. It's it's about how our culture got to where it is today, which is so confusing to many people. And I think this is a very important subject, as we'll see maybe as we go along through here. I think it's important enough to spend a little time on. Because people are confused about what they see around them in the news, other places, what's going on uh, in, in schools, what's going on wherever they are. And, and I think it's because the common people like us are the last ones to find out what's really going on. And until we understand how the people around us are thinking in the way that our children or grandchildren may be thinking, we, we don't have much hope of, of teaching them about the gospel, not really well, because we're not communicating at all the same way. And so we examined last week about how we got to the place we are with regard to truth. And I want to I want to continue that this morning. We're going to move on from here and go into, whether in a week or two, I don't know, some sermons on having a Christian worldview. What does it mean to have a Christian worldview? What are the basics that you ought to believe and understand as a Christian? Not just the plan of salvation but more basic beliefs about God himself. And that that's where we're off track with the people around us most of the time. Our ways of thinking are completely different and the way we use language is different and so we're having a difficult time communicating. And sometimes, now, by communication, see, people think, well, what you need in marriage, doing marriage, what you need is more communication. I, I can, I think, I think some people are communicating very well The fact that they disagree violently doesn't mean they're not communicating. Okay. You can communicate really well with somebody and terribly disagree with them. But when you're miscommunicating, you're both speaking over each other's heads. You're not even making contact. So don't confuse disagreement with misunderstanding. And don't confuse disagreement with not communicating. Uh, In fact... Uh, people, some people were complaining about me because they said I wasn't clear. Another one of my friends said, oh no, that's not the problem. You're very clear. That's what they don't like. Because uh, they don't agree with what I was saying. That's not a defense of me. What's the matter? Oh, we're back up on, how did that happen? We're back on that girl. I thought we took care of that problem a few weeks ago. When you all have an extra remote out there that you're, using. I think that's what's really going on here. I think somebody else has it, it decided, well, you know, we're on the same subject again. I don't like it, so we're going to watch that girl. And he won't, and as Steve hadn't told me, just look at Margot Thomas for a minute. Ah. <sighs> Let me try to figure this out. Give me a second. But while we're doing that, I, I want to mention something that probably a couple of you will uh, appreciate or would like to know about. And that is some, a, a couple of places you can go to read more about this whole thing that we're talking about here. This whole subject of, uh, of how we got here and, and basically sometimes the philosophy that's involved in it. Uh, what in the world is this thing doing? I would first recommend, as I've done before, I would first recommend that you take, you read C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, if you want to know where to start. He, he. There's a free copy of Mere Christianity back there on the desk. Okay, yes. Um, there is a free copy of that book right back there uh, on the desk. You should go out. Somebody brought some of those. But it's they're worth reading, and they will explain to you. Why it is we don't know what a man or woman is and why we think that animals are going to heaven and why people, you know, just whatever you can think of. Why why environmentalism all of a sudden in this century when we've had pollution all these years? There's a reason why things are like they are, why people worship the earth these days. And he kind of will explain those things uh, to you in that way in this book. I'm sorry, what what is that, Gary? Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell? Yes. He also wrote of this. He's got a couple of books out. I can't remember the titles right now, but they're available. Right. Okay, Thomas Sowell. And there's been others. I guess I am speaking of the ones that I'm familiar with, which may not be the... And the other thing I want you, and you'll have to understand about this, is that um, I'm old, and these books are old, and they're considered by some people to be Outdated. I don't believe that. Okay? I don't believe that they're outdated because the kind of ideas we're talking about. In fact, what you'll see when you read Francis Schaeffer, he's a prophet. He was living in the 60s and 70s doing it, and he is so prophetic. I was reading something yesterday from him, and I couldn't believe that it wasn't written the yesterday. But he's been dead since uh, the early 80s. So, in any event... Um, Men like that are very perceptive. They're worth paying attention to. And he explains things that we wouldn't run across anywhere else. Now, you'll have to dig through some of the philosophy. But let's do something different here. Let's go back to the scriptures and see something that should jump out at you more and more. It does me. Where Jesus said to those Jews in John 8 who believed him in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Abide means to stay in. This is the challenge that we face in the modern world, for sure. I'm sure it's always been that way, is staying in the Word, because all these forces in our culture, in society, and they're really coming out of us. They're coming out of our hearts, want to pull us away from God's Word and want to pull us away from what the Bible says into satisfying our own desires And pursuing what we want to do and what we think is right. So the desire, Jesus says all this stuff comes from within. We like to think of it as outside forces. I'm still working on that sermon I've been promising you for years on pushing and pulling. Most people are having problems because they're getting pushed this way or pulled this way and they don't always know which ones, and they'll know, they don't even recognize it's happening that they're being pushed or pulled. But he says, abide in my word. Stay in the word if you want to be my disciples. And if you don't want to be Jesus' disciple, then you won't stay in his word and you can't stay in his word because you, you'd be uh, unhappy about it. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Everybody wants freedom. What makes you free? The truth does. Oh, it doesn't mean mean liber- liberty in the sense of a libertine idea that you can do whatever you want, but it gives you a freedom to act, act rightly and responsibly and according to your true self. Immorality doesn't let you act according to your true self. Am I displaying this yet? I'm not displaying this yet, am I? It went away. I think somebody else does have a remote. All right, anyway. So you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Because I think truth is the central issue. And that's why Jesus said, again, another verse we're familiar with, we don't have to go very far into some obscure place to see this importance in the Bible. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. He says this to Thomas, where are you going? He said, I'm going away, where are you going? And he said, well, where I'm going, you can't come. And he said, well, how are we going to know the way? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So he is the truth. And you can't get to God any way except through Jesus Christ. Now, that that that's a big statement. And if you look at it from the standpoint of someone like Francis Schaeffer, who's a philosopher, he really will open that up to you and say what it really means to know the truth and that we have lost this concept of truth. Uh, In fact, modern philosophers will say that there is really no such thing as truth as we're going to see. No one can know the truth. There is no such thing as truth. We're just basically fumbling about with the particulars and so forth. And what, what it has led to in man, Man's man's rejection of the divine is the fundamental problem. This has been going on since the beginning. Since Cain said, I don't want to do what God says, I'm leaving and leaves, leaves the area where he was and goes away into the land of Nod or the land of wandering, the divine has been rejected by man. Sigmund Freud was wrong, as I said last week. Man did not invent God. Man has left God and from the beginning, and God hadn't stopped, hasn't stopped him. He said he let the nations walk in their own way. They rejected him. And so you see this. And we presented this just as a quick reminder that there are two realms that people have talked about that can be divided into. That is grace or the higher realm. We would call it the heavenly realm where God lives and truth and unity. There's a unity that ideas that give understanding to all things. So here's something that you can understand, You can get a grip on, I think, if I could explain this to you. Simple people like yourselves Is that a bad thing to say? It's good to be simple. Plain. Straightforward. Not all convoluted and twisted up. But Simple people have a sense of unity in the world. They, they, they seek it. They, they think that, that God gives meaning to all the things they see. And so when they see a sunset or when they see a beautiful flower, they have a sense of wonder about that and a joy that a person who's an atheist cannot have. Can't understand those things. I have a greater sense of joy and understanding and unity that goes deeper when I see my grandchildren than a person who doesn't believe in God or believes that God is remote and gone away, and we all got here by evolution. There's no way it can't be that way, because they have all they're seeing are the particulars in the universe, all these individual things. But the knowledge of Christ, the truth, puts all those things in a proper place and order. So we have appreciation of them. We can know them deeply, more deeply. We can feel them more deeply. And that's what's in the higher level. Below that is nature. Now, we could look at the history and you'd be bored to death uh, through medieval times and classical times, medieval times, down through the Renaissance of these two things. But what happened was, at some point in in the past, beginning probably around the time of the Renaissance, is that this, well, what I had back there was that uh, you can't explain things without this, but this upper story has been disintegrated, eaten up by the lower story. It just everything now has to be explained in terms of. I'll put it in quotes: science. The weak, weak man. These people walk around believing that, and Christians believe this somehow that we can explain everything by science. Everything that can be known can be shown in a double blind experiment. Do you believe that? I know a lot of smart people that believe that, but I don't believe that at all. There's a lot of things. In fact, the most important things that you can know cannot be proven in a double-blind experiment. Can't be proven in the test tube or a laboratory because they're not scientific facts. They belong in the upper story. And that's where most people that I've dealt with in my life, that's where their struggle is. Not down below in nature. When people have cancer, they have a nature problem. But what's their real struggle? The real struggle is in the upper story. What does it all mean? What's going to happen to me? You see. And so when science, as it's so falsely called, destroys the upper story, then we've lost everything that's really worthwhile. So the problem with this is there's really no place for man's significance when you take away the upper story. And this is what human philosophy has done down through the centuries, especially since the Renaissance. And different philosophers can be shown in the steps they took. And I don't even think that these men were all antagonistic to God. They aren't just raving atheists angry at the world. That's not how this happened. It happened because of the presumption that there can't be any such thing as a miracle. There can be nothing supernatural. And that if you can't prove it in a laboratory, it can't be true. That's how the, and so most everybody that you read today that you're dealing with in our society has that presupposition that there is no such thing as the divine. There's no such thing as a divine being that intervenes in this world. He has not spoken to us and that there are no such thing as uh, spiritual facts. They just believe that. So they go into the world doing that and when they want us, Solve your problems. They they think, for example, that depression is caused by uh, chemical imbalance in the brain. Have you ever heard that? That's been preached for 50 years, and I've been preaching against that idea for 50 years. And guess who got confirmed this week by <clears throat> science? The view that imbalances in the brain do not cause depression, and all the drugs you take to fix that do not really fix that problem. That's been borne out recently. I know you all are in shock because you've heard that all your life. But man's problems are not chemical imbalances. Man's problems cause chemical imbalances in the brain. That I believe. But that's more likely than not. Anyway, there's no place for man's significance. There's no place for morals, absolute morals, absolute truth of any kind. Now I'm going to skip over the next couple of slides. I'll do it very quickly to show you that what I had here was that there's this chasm between God and everything else. And then there's a chasm between man and the animals. So this problem of truth and knowledge is the central problem. Notice what he says in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The reason men suppress the truth is because of unrighteousness. They do not want to live according to God's way of living. And so because they do not want to live it, they suppress the truth about God himself. The time I first started preaching, I've been trying to say to people that the word God, to most people, means one thing. It means accountability or responsibility. That's what it means. When you say God, it means accountability. And that's the one thing they do not want And I feel this personally because when I tell them I'm a preacher, then I'm the substitute for God. They'll say, well, you must have a hotline to the man upstairs. No, but in their mind, I do. In their mind, I represent God, and so they want nothing to do with me either because I represent accountability. That's why they'll say things like when they're drinking, they'll say, oh, well, don't, don't," or they curse. They say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, why are you apologizing to me because you use filthy language? The one that you need to, you take the Lord's name in vain, you apologize to me because I'm a preacher. You got it all wrong. I'm not the one you just offended. I've heard every word you can think of and probably words you've never heard of before. That's not the problem. But see, accountability is the problem. But God has shown the truth to them in ways that they can see. And so when they rejected this invisible, uh, the invisible attributes that can be seen in creation, when they rejected God's personhood, he says in verse 21 of Romans 1, that they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So, how we arrive at knowledge and the truth is the greatest problem today. How we get here, philosophically, is called epistemology. How we know what we do know. Can we know it? And how do we know we know it? Those sound like big questions, but that's what everybody has to decide what. The, what they're going to figure out. You all have a philosophy about that. You all have a something in your brain that you use as a guideline to say, "How do I know I know something?" And how do I, how do I know? Can can I know something? Most of your contemporaries don't believe you can really know anything. It's not possible to know anything. You can only. You, they don't even know if they're real. And I've had college professors tell me that they don't really know if they're real or not. They certainly don't know if I'm real sitting in the class. They'll say. Because I can't prove it in a test tube. Very simple. Can't prove it scientifically in their view. So we've talked about this line of despair. Man used to have an optimism during the Renaissance period of the 1400s about finding the truth. Leonardo, men like that, they had an optimism that they could take their mind and their rational mind alone and find the truth out about the world and about themselves. And they began this pursuit in art, in philosophy, in what we now call science. it that gave birth to modern science, this idea. A Christian idea gave birth to modern science, that, that God made the world with a rational mind, and he gave us rational minds and we can understand the world because we're rational like God is. That's the idea that gave birth to modern science. Modern science didn't begin in Buddhist countries and Hindu countries, or in Africa. It began in Europe because of this idea of the Christian's teaching about the nature of God. That's where it began. Now, it's been spread all over the world. But when man man eventually had to give up on that idea that we can find out everything we need to know by using our minds because there's so much we can't ever figure out and we never do know. And so we move to a line of despair. So modern man has been fighting this problem of despair. Why do you think drugs, and this is just in our generation, are so important to our society? All kinds of drugs, legal and illegal, are important because they help us fight this despair of the human predicament. Martin Luther said this, though, about this problem of truth that really is probably the purpose behind some of these lessons. He says, if I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except precisely that little point which the world and devil were at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides that is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. So history goes along and there are critical moments where truth must be defended at a particular point. And what you find in that moment, you find a lot of preachers and churches and politicians And other people who flinch, professors who flinch there, they'd rather be talking about something over here and they avoid that point of conflict. Because today it'll get you canceled. Today it'll ruin your life if you fight there. But Martin Luther says in a battle, if that's where the soldier won't fight, he won't fight where the enemy is, then what good is he? This point of what the truth is and whether we can know the truth is the central point that's under attack today. And that's why we have these questions. What? Uh, I, what's a woman? We don't know what a woman is. Why do we have that kind of silly thing going on? Because we do not have a concept of how to know the truth, how to understand what truth is. And and then when we do think we see it, we go away. Now this process is a. It doesn't start it at, at the bottom. It starts at a top level. These thought processes. This change in the nature of truth started out in Europe, especially in Germany, and spread throughout Europe. And eventually, these teachings are known to African philosophers as well as European philosophers, for example. And eventually, before it came to Africa, it probably came to the United States. A century or so later, these ideas came to the United States from philosophy. It expressed itself even in the Renaissance in art, Y'all don't understand Picasso, I can almost guarantee you. We just think, well, what kind of silly painting is that? Cubes. That doesn't look like a woman. That doesn't look like a tree. Well, you don't know what he was trying to do. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why Picasso painted like he painted, Cezanne painted like he painted, and, and all the other... Jackson Pollock, why he paints that way. There's reasons philosophically... Why they did that, and they're trying to illustrate a point about truth and knowledge by painting that way. It comes to music. It's reflected in the music. There's a big difference between some of the classical composers and jazz, and then some of the more modern composers of symphonies that grate on your ears. They're made to be completely disharmonic and not, is Debussy one of those? I don't know. That they're made not to sound the same way as the... Class. There's a reason for that. Philosophically. And then it comes into general culture. It comes into culture through things like the Beatles. And different kinds of movies. Marlon Brando movies, you know. And all. It comes into culture this way. The idea that there's no real meaning in life. Truth can't be known. Everything is in doubt. reject, And they reject everything that has to do with Christianity. You cannot watch an American or British TV show and find God in that show in any positive way at all. It's almost impossible to find a television show or movie made in the United States in the last 30, 40 years and also in Europe in which anything to do with the God of the Bible is presented in a positive way. In fact, when one of those movies appears for a brief time, we all all as Christians go, wow, look at that, Hollywood's changing. We're crazy to think. They just want to make a little money there, and they they do it sometimes just to mock Christians. Why can't you? Because the general culture now is put forth this. And why do you see, all the way from the universities to the trailer parks, this general decline of people's confidence in their own life, that their life has a meaning and a purpose, that it isn't all about sex and drugs and alcohol? Why? Why do you see, why are we seeing so much violence? Violence is a form of nihilism that indicates that people do not have a purpose. Widespread violence is, where it encompasses the whole culture, which is where we are today. You you, you can watch, you see guns in old TV shows. Now you see guns everywhere being used indiscriminately by good and bad to do whatever anybody else wants. It's just a symbol of power. They all have a different meaning. And so we have this problem. So at the Renaissance, when Western men began to reject God in the upper story, in real life, in in a whole culture-wide way, he turned to himself, man did, for answers and meaning. Men thought that by just using his rational mind, he could answer all the questions without God. When that failed, after a few centuries, men concluded that there was no unified answer to anything in life. Life had no meaning and that the truth or morals existed, and thus we all create our own meaning. That is despair. I remember sitting in a in a college level course early on with a professor there, and they were dis, it was discussing it was a philosophy class the meaning of life. Well, of course, me the very enthusiastic SpongeBob Christian. Oh, life has a meaning. God gives life a meaning. Uh, I quoted Ecclesiastes. So we had this big discussion over a period of time in that class. And the professor was very, very adamant. All the class agreed that that was wrong. There's no meaning in life. Your life your life only has the meaning that you give it. That's the conclusion they all came to. The only meaning your life have is whatever meaning you give it. So if your mother Teresa, well, you serve her example, although I don't think she is one, and you give your life meaning by helping old ladies across the street... You, get, you have meaning in life. This same person will tell you though that one person can see a little old lady cross the street and try to help. Sorry, sorry little old ladies, i use you again for an example. But, but help them across the street. The other one can run her down with his car. And both have given them their life authentication. I heard that word authentication today? Being authentic? Validating your life? It can come either way. This is the philosophy of Jean-Paul Sartre, the famous existentialist in France, half a century ago or more. And this is the philosophy that people live by today. Why do you think people can say, my life's going to have meaning, I'm going to go shoot up a school and kill a bunch of kids? To them, that's the meaning that their life has. You're saying, but that's wrong. Well, you forgot there's no upper story. There's no right, There's no right or wrong about that. They gave themselves a validation. They don't care. If it's good or bad validation, it's validation that they really exist. And so men then can create their own meaning in life and this leads to despair. So rationalism, you know this word used, is the system where man, beginning absolutely by himself tries rationally to build out from himself, having only man as the integration point to find all knowledge, meaning, and value. This is sometimes called humanism. The man's a beginning point. We reason out from ourselves and we find all this meaning in the world. We find, understand, we're gonna understand the cosmos. We think we're gonna send out all the, all the satellites and find meaning in the universe. I know that's the excitement. All this thing the last couple of weeks about this new satellite they set up, uh, telescope they set up out there and taking all the pictures from the furthest away. You know why all the... you know That's interesting. It's great. Especially if you're a Christian. It means something. But if you're not, like most of them that are doing this, it just means, oh, we're going to be so much closer to finding out the meaning of the universe. We're going to find out about the origin of the universe. Are they? What do you think? I don't think so. And if they do, they won't recognize it. Because as the Bible says... He's not far away out there beyond the furthest star. God is near to you. Isn't that what the Bible says? God is near to you already. You don't have to go out behind the stars to find Him if you want to find Him. Now don't confuse rationalism with being rational. I think being a Christian is being rational. We use our minds. We use reason. Rational means not contrary to reason. So we use our minds to come up with something that's reasonable. So my faith is Is a reasonable faith. I have reasons for my belief. They're based not only in the text of the Bible, but in history and archaeology and language, all kinds of things, as to give me a rational basis for having faith in things that I don't understand. Man's, so man aspiring to be a rational person. And, and that's the valid, that's where science is valid. Well, let's put it this way. It used to be valid. Now science is politicized. It's all about politics and who benefits and who doesn't benefit you know, from this and which view it supports and which it does. But it used to be the idea that we could use our reason and come to truth about things on the earth. And I, I agree with that idea. That's rash, a rational-based approach to the world. So Christianity is rational because it's using your mind and reason to come to conclusions. And that's the opposite of rationalism, the idea that, that man by himself can come to all the things. I don't believe man by himself can find out the answers that he's looking for. It's not possible. Jeremiah says it's not within man uh, it's not in man that walks to find his own steps. He can't can't figure out where he's going in that way. Before the modern era, men were optimistic rationalists. They thought they could begin with themselves, draw a circle that would encompass all thought and, and they would just be able to say in that realm of this all thought. And they had different circles they drew, but all these old ancient guys like Galileo and and de vinci and descartes and all of them down through history they thought that they could find the answer using their mind and they were optimistic about that but this attempt failed coming into the 1900s often especially into the into the 1900s there was no way they realized that men in philosophy, this has, hadn't gotten down to the common man yet, but in philosophy they realized there's no way that man by himself and his reason could find a unifying knowledge in the diversity of the universe. All they were seeing was the particulars. Gary and I were talking about that this morning. Here's a problem you run into. Uh, what you say your friend said, we know more and more about less and less. Until we know, after we know nothing know. about everything. Right. right? I don't trust experts that far. I trust them a little bit but I know what an expert is. An expert is a person whose life and mind has been zeroed in on one little bug. Not dragonflies, but one particular kind of dragonfly and the wing structure of that one particular dragonfly. They know all about that. Do you think they know how to get home from work? Probably not. (laughs) They certainly don't know how to tell me how to live my life, but they think they do because they're an expert experts, if they're really experts, know a whole lot about one little tiny thing. And you know what all this shows? It shows just how complex the God of the universe made the universe. It's way, way, way more complex than anybody's ever even imagined up to this point. Much less what we used to think. Remember when I was in school, 8th grade, you drew a cell. They showed you a cell. And you got the, the ectoplasm and the protoplasm and the nucleus. There's your cell. We know all about the cells we don't know anything about cells. Today they begin to look at all that stuff. Protoplasm isn't protoplasm. Nucleases aren't nucleases. They're extremely complex with built-in machines working inside, chemical machines inside those cells, genetic machines. We're only beginning to scratch the surface of cellular biology because God made it that way. And so man's reason can't go from looking at protoplasm to figuring out whether he should take drugs or sleep with his girlfriend. Doesn't answer that question. It explain doesn't explain why he got cancer, or why his child got cancer. Doesn't explain that, does it? But they think if you're an expert, you can know the answer. No, we re- the true philosophers understood. There's no way that human beings with their mind can understand the world we live in. And so they gave up on it, and they shifted the definition of truth away from knowing what God has made, the absolute truth. They shifted away from that. There's no such thing as absolute truth because we can't find it. We can't find it, therefore it doesn't exist. And so your truth is just whatever you say. Truth is whatever you say in your life. That's why you, now you have. come down. It's all filtered down now to the common man, my truth and your truth. This is what philosophers have been saying for a long time. But now it's come down to you and you're scratching your head. What do you mean my truth and your truth? You need to get with the program. <laughs> Understand what you're listening to. We have all been so influenced by this idea of the exaltation of man far beyond man's ability that we ourselves are deceived oftentimes as Christians about this whole thing. So I believe that there are absolutes in knowledge and morals. If A is true, the opposite's false. If A is wrong, the opposite's right. If A is A, then if you have A, you do not have non A. Now that's those are simple logical statements. That's linear thinking. Very old fashioned today. What we have today is since the time of Hegel in the mid eighteen hundreds, we have a thesis, something that you say here, then you have the opposite of that, antithesis, and then you come to the truth in the middle. Synthesis. Then you take the synthesis, which becomes a thesis, and you got the antithesis, and you move over here. And this was put into a political philosophy by Marx and Engels. It's called Marxism. Dialectical materialism. And this is why I reject the idea that truth is in the middle. Because that's not how you reason. And what it means is that human beings, through this process, can refine our knowledge on out to some infinite point. But in the end, what it's done, see, there's no such thing as truth of that model. There's no such thing as truth. You can't say this is right, this is wrong, this is true, this is false. You can't say that because as soon as you say this is true, he says that's false, now we've got to find a middle pathway, a synthesis of those two. So there's no such thing as truth. This is the fundamental thing that your kids are being educated with every time. every time they go to a public school or university. This is the fundamental thinking process behind what they're taught. And it's flawed. It is true that we can learn from the opposites and we can come up with, sometimes, sometimes we come up with a better theory, but that really isn't the meaning of this. The meaning of this is there's no such thing as an absolute in this whole thing. And so Hegel denied that there's such a thing as absolute truth. He said it's too narrow and dogmatic to assume that of two opposites assertions, one must be true and the other false. He rejected the Bible and proposed that man is on an evolutionary journey that human history is the record of a process of conflict and synthesis that he referred to as a dialectical process, and so forth. So this was the idea. And um, this led later thinkers like Kierkegaard. Aren't you, don't you just love these names? Now, think about it. But you say, oh, he's, who's he? He doesn't matter. He does matter. Because you and your children have been greatly influenced by what Soren Kierkegaard I think he was a Danish Danish man what he said. You've been greatly you just don't realize how much because that process of filtering down from the philosophers to the general culture takes time. And what he said was this there's no real meaning in life that could be found by reason and rationality but it could be found if at all in a leap of faith. Just an act of the will to believe in God or higher power without any evidence. And so he used the example of uh, Abraham and Isaac, the sacrifice of Isaac in his writing. He's a religious man. And he said that Abraham just made a leap of faith. When God said, sacrifice his son, Abraham just made a leap of faith and decided to do that even though he had no reason to do it whatsoever. And this is how you find true meaning in life. This defined Abraham's whole life. This leap of faith. You just make that leap. Is that true? That Abraham made a leap of faith? No. He had faith. Was Abraham's decision to listen to God on that day based on anything else that happened before? A whole lifetime of God proving to him over and over again that he would do what he said he would do and he could trust him. Abraham didn't make a leap of faith. He had faith because he knew what God had done before. He had reason. He had absolute rational reasons for obeying God. But he took the leap of faith, even though he didn't know what this was going to happen because of what had happened before. That's the kind of faith that we need. But what we have in Christianity today, and you'll hear it everywhere in Christianity, that that faith and reason are two opposite things, two separate things from each other. They can never meet together. If you're a religious person, oh, you just believe in taking the leap. But I'm a rational person. I believe in evidence. I believe in science. A rational thing. Well, let me tell you something. People that say that are just as irrational if they define believing things they can't prove. Can you prove evolution? (laughs) No. Not any rational means you can't. You can come out there and say you got evidence for it, but you can't prove anything. So the point is, Christianity is not about taking a leap of faith. And a lot of you have fallen into that trap of thinking, well, I just got to believe. And so, guess what happens? They You believe whatever somebody else says. You don't try the spirits whether they be of God. Isn't you know what John said? Beloved, believe not every spirit, every idea that you hear, but test the spirits whether they're of God. You don't make a leap of faith. You look at what God has said and done in the world and the Scriptures, and then you decide you're going to believe Him or not. And that's that's called faith. So, what happens is, the idea was that you have this nature. You're living down here in the lower part of it. And if you want to get to the upper level, Kierkegaard just said, well, you just got to take a leap. Just jump into the dark. And that's where people do things like blow up buildings and kill people or take drugs or do all kinds of stuff because they're showing an act of faith in the unseen and the unknown. It's destructive. And that's why one answer that's pursued by our culture is the use of drugs of various types to reach the upper story. Drugs have always been a way to reach the upper story. The American Indians smoked peyote. All throughout the Middle East in the Bible, in Bible times. What do you think they were doing on Mount Carmel? Those prophets of Baal were leaping about and cutting themselves. They were using drugs like they did in Palestine to get high. Timothy Leary talked about this very thing in the sixties with, with LSD. We're going to take a leap of faith and get to the upper story and see God. By, t- by going, going on a trip. Where was the trip supposed to take them? The trip was supposed to take them from the lower story, the mundane life they were living in, and put them in another world that was out here, the upper story. That's what the trip is about. That we hippies grew up with. See, we just didn't recognize where the philosophy was coming from. So it's always been one way that, uh, men, should say men, not mean, vainly try to reach God. Another way is excessive sexual alley or pleasure seeking you seek to find this leap this emotional high in sexuality do you find it no not very long not for very long another way within christianity is emotion based religious experiences so you just take a leap and and if you, the more emotional you can get and the more you can separate yourself from your rational mind through what they would call in their in their view they would call it speaking in tongues or charismatic experiences the whole idea is to separate yourself from your rational mind and take a trip. This is, this is now filtered down into Christianity historically. Very same ideas. Let me show you what the Bible says though. And we're going to close. The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 1. And the firmament shows His handiwork. Day into day utters speech. Night the night reveals knowledge. What's that mean? What that means is you can know something about God just by looking at the world around you. God is telling your rational mind what things you can know about him by looking at the stars and the world that God made around you, all the creation. And you can know something there that's important. And what you learn not only is the things about how to make penicillin out of mold, but you learn important things about who made it, his everlasting power and divinity that we saw in Romans. So there's something to be learned in nature and in science in the pursuit of human knowledge. We should never neglect that. It has to be kept in its place. And then he so goes on to say, so, so truth is revealed in the natural creation according to Psalm uh, 19 in the first few verses. Then he just shifts gears in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Same Psalm, a few verses later. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, not relative, not uncertain, but it's sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. There is right and wrong. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, lightening the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is clean during forever, and so forth. So, here he tells you, That the truth is revealed in the written word. So we have two ways of knowing about God. One is the natural world around us. points us to God. The other thing is the truth that's been revealed by God in his word that points us also with our rational mind to understand what God was saying. And that's why Paul says, as we close here in Romans 1, going back to the beginning, that the wrath of God is revealed against men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. That's the same thing as he's saying in Psalm 19. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He he said men abandon this, but God has already shown it to them in both ways. So the, the thing that is striking about I'll mention this man again, Francis Schaeffer, when you read his book. You you don't hear in his writing what you're hearing from me right now. Frustration and sometimes almost anger about these things. You hear he feels sorry for these people he met in Europe. Completely hopeless, abandoned by their own thoughts and their own minds. And the smarter they were, the worse they suffered. He felt sorry for them because they did not know the truth of the gospel. I need more of that. We need more of that. To see, you know you know how the Bible describes this? Lost. Yeah. We define lost a lot of ways in our own minds religiously. But this is what lost means. Hopeless. Not able to find their way in the dark because of where they are. And we need to have the compassion that takes in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who is God in the flesh, and show them that there is a way out of this. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Sorry it's so long. I- I'm going to blame uh, Margot Thomas for the sermon being long today. We had to watch. A little- we had to watch a little bit of that, you know, first, where we could have the sermon. But um, I do appreciate you listening. We're going to sing number 23. All things are ready now as we close our assembly. All things are ready. If you want to become a Christian. Step out in faith and belief in Jesus Christ based on the text of what the Scriptures say about Him, what the witnesses said about His resurrection. We're here to help you today. We can baptize you into Christ based on your confession of faith in Him and your repentance. You can become a Christian right now. Can we help you with that? Come right down to the front. Let's stand and sing.